G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Christian psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said that if he could convince his patients that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would immediately be free to walk out of the psychiatric hospital. Now, if this is true, the implications are disturbing to say the least. It would suggest that each day, untold millions are suffering mental anguish on account of unresolved guilt. Of course, not all of these end up in psychiatric hospitals. The fact remains, however, that human beings are deeply troubled by condemnatory thoughts. But what is even more shocking is that those who work in mental institutions tell us that a disproportionate number of patients who are tormented by guilt daily classify themselves as Bible-believing Christians. How can this be? The Gospel is the most powerful message of forgiveness. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and His substitutionary death upon the cross are totally and eternally forgiven all their sins, past, present and future. They stand righteous in the sight of God. What better news could there be than this? If anyone should feel good about their situation, it is the person who is in Christ. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. Thanks for joining us. Phil here along with author and pastor Ken Legg. And this week, looking at the subject of guilt. Ken, what you just shared with us really highlights the incredible toll of guilt. It seems that people are beside themselves trying to cope with it. Yeah, I personally believe that sin-focused Christianity has done more to damage believers and hinder them in their spiritual walk than we realize. Let me just share an example or two from my own experience Um, As a young pastor, I used to read many books and Bible commentaries which majored on the sinful nature of man. Now, looking back, I can see that the overall fruit of this was not good. I often found myself in like a melancholic state, uh, battling spiritual depression. And of course, thinking this to be the normal Christian life, I would then project these guilt-ridden feelings onto my congregation. Mm, Nice. I remember once uh, feeling so unworthy that I was visiting a lady in a mental hospital and I actually envied her. (laughs) She was drugged and didn't seem to have to deal with the guilt and the feelings of inadequacy which I was struggling because I'd been feeding myself on the wrong sort of material, you know. Mm. Now, is this new covenant living? You know, is this how God intended life to be in his kingdom? Is it glorifying to him if we constantly beat up on ourselves? Is it conceivable even that Jesus, having paid an awful price to redeem us from every sin, still wants us to be perpetually focused on our transgressions. Mm. In other words, what I'm saying, Phil, is is sin consciousness what we were redeemed for? It's a really big issue. I know it's one that I've really sort of grappled to get my head around and grown more in over the last few years in understanding that under the new covenant, our sins and our lawless deeds are, are forgiven and that God will remember them no more if we truly accept the grace that he's given us. That's right, Phil. We were looking at what it means in Hebrews when it says, let us go on to perfection. And of course, it's not a a reference to moral perfection. We're never going to be morally perfect in this life. And it's not even talking about that. 
That word perfection, as we saw, means to bring something into the state for which it was created. Now, it's talking about us. Let us go on to perfection. So what was it that we were created for? Well, we were created, of course, for communion with God. That's that's the perfect state. And we know that sin marred that, but Jesus came and died in our place. So the sin question has been dealt with. Now, the barrier is what's in our heart? Do we think that God uh, is still thinking about our sinfulness, our sinful nature? Uh, because if we do think that, then we're going to back off from him. And what about in our heart? Are we conscious of our sin? Are we, you know, are we going over and over and over our weakness and somehow thinking that this is a spiritual thing to do that? Well, it's actually counterproductive. It's actually not bringing us to that state of perfection, that state of uh, beautiful communion between us and God, because we're thinking sin and we're thinking that God's thinking sin. I guess it's one thing, though, to understand and realize and accept that you know God has wiped our sins away. God's side of it is taken care of, but us forgetting it is another matter. Yeah. In fact, let's go back to the book of Hebrews there, Phil, because, you know, talking about the tabernacle, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the writer says that that actually represents the real barrier that keeps people from enjoying the presence of God, and that is the conscience. We're conscious of sin, you know. It says that there in Hebrews chapter 9 and other parts of Hebrews. So when people are conscious of their sins, their natural tendency, of course, is to draw back from God Mm. rather than draw near to him. But then he goes on to illustrate this point by the fact that in the Old Testament times, if somebody touched a dead person, he was unclean, okay? So he had to be excluded from the camp. Now, to remedy this, he says this, take the ashes of a heifer that have been sacrificed and uh, of the blood which has been sprinkled towards the tabernacle, mingle it all together with water and sprinkle that on the one that has been defiled and then he can come back into the camp, okay? So God brought that person back in. Now, he goes on to say, if that worked for somebody under the old covenant, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience Mm. from dead works to serve the living God? So God is not only into forgiving our sin, but cleansing our conscience from sin. Again, you know, wonderful pictures you get your head around, but how does that work in practical terms? How does the blood cleanse our conscience to deal with this guilt issue? Yeah, a good question. I mean, the function of the conscience, right, is to speak to us. It tells us what is morally right and what is morally wrong. It, it reports on our behavior, if you like. Yep. Now, the first time the blood is mentioned in the Bible, you know what it's doing? It's speaking to God. Do you remember Cain just murdered Abel? And uh, God says to him, you know, where's your brother and what have you done and so on? And then he's asked Cain this question, what have you done because the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me Mm. from the ground. So the blood speaks to God. That's the first mention of blood, and it's telling us that the blood speaks to God. Now, the writer to the Hebrews picks up on that, and he says this, the blood of sprinkling, that's the blood of Jesus, speaks better things than that of the blood of Abel. Now, what was the blood of Abel crying out? Well, that was crying out for vengeance. Mm. You know, avenge me of my death. Okay, but the blood of Jesus is crying out to God, as it were, for our forgiveness. For our forgiveness yeah. and our righteousness. It's actually speaking to God on our behalf. And it's saying that all charges relating to our sin have been dealt with, they've been met in full. So on the one hand, you've got our conscience that's speaking to us, telling us what we ought to think about ourselves, yeah. right? Accusing us, condemning us. That's one voice. But then we know that the blood of Jesus is speaking to God and is telling us what God thinks about us. Is telling us that God sees us 
as being totally righteous in his sight. So we've got these two voices, I guess, and exactly. know, we've got to choose which one are we going to listen to. And that's what it comes down to, Phil, is uh, whose voice are we going to listen to in the final analysis? See, the conscience is good, as we said earlier on, uh, regarding the conscience. It's good providing it's been informed correctly. But if it's been misinformed or if it's been inadequately informed, then it's going to condemn us unnecessarily. So, yeah, the conscience is meant to say, hey, this is wrong what you did then. But is that the full story? No. The justice that's demanded for all our sins has been met in full by Jesus Christ. And that's the voice that's speaking to God. There is no sin. There's nothing outstanding in our lives when we come before God. He sees us totally as righteous. And the blood is giving testimony to that on a moment-by-moment basis. Why do you think it is, though, that so many believers are just naturally sin-conscious? Well, I think part of the answer is um, wrong teaching. You know, if I can look back into the early days of my Christianity, in my zeal for God, I remember reading a book on revival. And it said, if we want revival, here's one thing that you have to do personally. You want revival in your life, you've got to go back over your entire life, remember every single sin that you've ever committed before you were a Christian, since you've become a Christian, and confess it and repent of it. Of course, I knew that in my lifetime there would not be enough time. <laughs> <laughs> give that up as a bad that. idea. It'll take too long. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd give it a go anyway. And, uh, you know, I remember becoming so depressed. I went, I went to work, Phil, and uh, my boss said these words to me. He says, Ken, what's wrong with you? You look so miserable. I remember coming home that day thinking, what a brilliant testimony that is for the saving grace of Jesus. <laughs> you know, my boss reckons I look a real misery, yeah. you know. And, and that's not how we're meant to be walking around beating up on ourselves. The sinner, yes, you know, before he's come to Christ. But we have come to Christ. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We are now the righteousness of God. And that should show on our countenance. We're out of time for today. But join us again tomorrow when we continue our discussion on guilt, the number one killer. Until then, remember, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free. For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg, including the book New Covenant, New Glory, which features topics from today's message, visit the Vision Christian store at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au.